And now, from the gleaming spires of Chicago, broadcasting across the multiverse, from the heights of Hlidskjalf to the depths of Niflheim, from the MCU to the DCU, from the slopes of Mount Olympus and beyond, you are tuned to the immortal sounds of Radio Free Asgard. And hello, everybody, and welcome to Radio Free Asgard. This is episode number 334. We're coming at you. As always, from beautiful Chicago, Illinois, my name is Tom Harris. Welcome to the show. And it is cold here in Chicago. Yeah, we're, we're here at our end of the fall weather pattern. And you know, last weekend we had you know five to six inches of snow on the ground, our first major snowfall of the season. And then it's kind of all been washed away by rain. And of course, when that happens, you end up with slush and you end up with mush and you end up with slippery ice and you end up with all this fun stuff. And that's life in the big city, unfortunately. And you never know from one day to the next what we're going to get. Today has been all about sleet. It has not stuck, but at least it's not slippery. That's the really the thing that I'm most afraid of, uh, you know, being old and you know, having bad knees and all that. But um, yeah, so enough about that because that's not interesting to talk about. So I hope you all enjoyed the mythology episode last week. That was our regularly scheduled mythology episode. But while we were in recording for the mythology episode last week, a big news story hit the world of comics. And I think everybody knows, because they looked at the show description, exactly what I'm talking about. On November 12th, Stanley Martin Lieber, a.k.a. Stan Lee, passed away at the age of 95 years old. Stan's passing was not a big surprise. At 95, he'd had a lot of issues. More recently, there had been some controversies regarding some of the people around him. There were allegations of elder abuse and people taking advantage of Stan after the death of his wife. It was a a very unhappy cycle of news stories and in the middle of that all Stan occasionally would reach out and almost plaintively remind people I'm still here kind of a sad end to one of the most popular comics creators that whoever lived whenever the topic of Stan Lee comes up in conversation certainly among comics fans and people who are aficionados of the classic Marvel age There are certain topics that keep recurring. The the sort of the codas to Stan's career, looking back in retrospect and applying what people's idea of fairness is many decades after the events happened and outside of any kind of knowledge of, of the contracts that were involved and the arrangements that were involved and the, the, the industry standards of the time. We're not going to talk about these things, at least not right yet. We, we might touch on this because I think that inevitably they do come up. But instead, I'm going to take a slightly different tack in talking about Stan's life. He was a divisive character. And I think the most important term in that phrase is the term character. The Onion, a uh, well-known satirical website and newspaper, 
they published a story about Stan's passing saying, Stan Lee, creator of beloved Marvel Comics character Stan Lee, passes away at 95. And here, as often happens, we have the kernel of the truth. That Stan was more than just a guy. He was more than just a writer. He was more than just an editor. He was more than just a publisher. He was more than just that old guy who does cameos in Marvel movies. Stan Lee himself was a character. As so often happens, truth came out through humor. And I think to really understand how this is so different from what came before, you kind of have to go back to the late 1950s and early 1960s and have a look at what the publishing business was like then. As most businesses were back then, things were a lot more formal. You wore a suit and tie to work. Men were still wearing hats. I mean, the publishing business is still a business today. But life since the 1960s has become a lot more casual than it was. This is something I've often observed, and I've talked about it on on other shows, most notably my old podcast, Tom Harris USA. But, you know, we've gone from this very formal sort of, of office culture that existed back then to a very relaxed office culture that we exist in today. I haven't had to wear a tie to work since 1992, And that was when I was stocking shelves at a grocery store. The idea of a casual workplace is not something that really would have occurred to people in the early 1960s. And at the same time, I think that the the letters columns and the the interactions that, that the companies had with their readers were similarly as, quote unquote, professional and formal. If you read a DC's letter page from that era, or even a Marvel letter page early on in Marvel's history, things are very formal. It's very dear editor kind of thing. And any kind of repartee, any kind of joking around was, was really kept to a minimum. You, you can see a little bit of it in, in that era, but not nearly what it became. When you're number two, like Marvel was back in during that era. They might not have even been number two. They may have been number four or five with you know, Dell and Gold Key and you know, some of the, the, like the Kitty Comics companies probably still way ahead of Marvel in sales back at that time. Marvel was trapped in a position of having bad distribution. You know, DC really controlled a lot of the, the distribution and they got to determine essentially how many titles Marvel was allowed to publish and get distribution for. And that's the way the newsstand business worked. So, you know, when you're that low on the totem pole, you got to try a little bit harder. Now, somebody, and based on the gregarious personality that I think emerged during that era, probably Stan himself, decided, hey, Maybe we should relate to our readers a little bit more. Why don't we talk to them as as a friend as opposed to somebody who's presenting them with something? Let's have our little jokes. Let's have our banter. Let's make it fun to read the letters page. Let's make them feel as though they know us. Establish a relationship with these people even though it's not really a relationship at all. But let's make our reader feel like they know us and that they're our friends. 
And Marvel began something that the DC was only sporadically doing at that point anyway, and started to credit the writer and credit the artist, and ultimately to credit the letterers and the colorists and the inkers. They're putting the names out there. Your, your creators' names are ending up on the splash page of most issues. This was all new stuff, because prior to that, Nobody cared who the artist was. I mean, there, there were aficionados who knew about it, sure. But nobody knew the names of the editor of the book. I mean, the name of Mort Weisinger was probably not widely known outside of comic circles. People like uh, E. Nelson Bridwell would not have been widely known outside of comics. Nobody had heard the name Stan Lee for sure. You know, they would recognize certain artists by the style of their art, and they would, you know, famously, Carl Barks, you know, the, the famous uh, Disney artist, was one of these, these artists who, you know, they, they would call him the good duck artist because, you know, Disney would never publish the name of the artist, but you could identify the artist by their styles. That's just the way publishing was back then. And this all began to change as Marvel began to become emergent. And, and because of the people going back and forth between the different companies, it started to spread. People started to realize, hey, that's a pretty good idea. Now, I don't think that we would have that today if it weren't for Stan. Now, I think nowadays it's kind of gone a little bit overboard and you have, have Alan Fine as the executive producer. But, you know, I think that that's one of those things that you can really kind of firmly put at the feet of 1960s Marvel Comics, and who was basically the editor of Marvel Comics during that era? Well, yay, it was Stan. And you have this community all of a sudden, and then you start getting the silly nicknames. Jolton Joe Sinnott, Jolly Jack Kirby, Stan the Man Lee. You have all of this coming in, and adding that, that extra level of fun, that extra levity, that extra bit of... of character identification and then you have to have this presenter's voice you don't want to have the person who's presenting your comics have a kind of a stodgy editorly voice though that was the industry standard at the time and remained the industry standard at dc up until the 70s but you have all of a sudden the editor's voice changing becoming more hip becoming more with it, as it were. Face front true believers. And, and we know where that came from. So the, the, the level of engagement, is, is this is the point that I've been kind of driving towards, level of engagement of readers to the publishers really peaked, not in a small part to Stan Lee. You could argue, in a sense, that Stan really helped to revive the comics industry. The comics industry in the 1950s was really in the doldrums. And all of a sudden, you know, you had some successful stuff coming out from DC and the other companies. But really, Marvel just started going gangbusters when you have all this innovation. When you have that illusion, and I, and I think that it was an illusion in a lot of ways. But you have this illusion of this company being a fun place to work and this illusion of a big happy family. The Marvel bullpen, as we all know, it didn't really exist in any kind of substantial way. That was largely myth-making. 
It was promotion. It was marketing. And Stan was responsible for that too. But I think that there began to be a sense of excitement about the medium. And you add to that the innovation that was going on as far as the stories, the innovation that was going on with the art, the innovation that was going on with the subject matter, and particularly as we move through the 60s and into the 70s, all of this is going on. There's a lot of excitement coming out. You know, com- Comics are at a peak that they hadn't been at for a while. I mean, they never really did match the, uh, you know, the golden age sales figures of you know, these millions of copies that they used to sell in the, in the 40s. But you know, it was certainly something that revived the industry substantially and definitely in the terms of relating to the material that's being presented. And even, I think, if Stan Lee had never written a comic story, I think for that reason alone, Stan deserves to be remembered as one of the comic greats. Now think of how crazy that is. For the first time, you actually have a publishing company that has a personality that's engaging and that people like. Now, some people didn't like Stan. I think, I think that a lot of people found his uh, shtick kind of annoying. And I get that. I get that. He's like your annoying uncle who tells corny jokes and, and generally is a little bit embarrassing when he gets drunk. And, and that's kind of how I think of Stan. Not, not from my own personal experience because I, even though I met Stan and he signed a, a book for me and I signed a book for Pete as well, it was very by the numbers kind of meeting. You know, we, we, I got to tell him how much I appreciated his work over the years. He signed my book and that was pretty much it. But, you know, the fact that he's made himself out there even into his, into his 90s, I think was, is remarkable. But on top of everything else, on top of every other contribution that Stan made to comics, he was a writer. He was a creator. He was a collaborator with some of the top talent in the industry ever. In concert with other creators, most notably Jack Kirby, but also with Ditko, with John Romita, with Bill Everett, with Wally Wood, a kind of a, a raft of other artists. He created and co-created some of the most enduring characters ever. And not just in comics, but also now in cinema, in video games. I mean, these characters are literally everywhere. I mean, I've got a phone game, which is a Marvel-based phone game. I mean, not all the characters were created by Stan, but a lot of them were. I don't think it's fair to downgrade Stan's talent as a creator because he definitely was a creator. And... As I've often said, I've often said this of Jack Kirby, is I think that, that you know, as amazingly creative as, as Jack Kirby was, he needed a strong hand. He needed a strong editor in order to, uh, to rein back some of his crazier notions and, and some of his more self-indulgent ideas. And I think that that was where Stan came in very handy, that he was able to hold that back, take that really good idea that, that Kirby would present and polish it up even more, make that into something even better. I think that the two of them better were more than the sum of their parts. And I also think that he had the similar kind of of relationship in a different way with John Romita on Spider-Man. 
you know, and with Gene Colan on Daredevil. I think that, you know, every relationship that Stan had as a writer with other artists, you got something unique out of it. And it wasn't just the artist's voice. You had the artist's voice, certainly. Not every artist is also a writer. Kirby was, but not every other artist is. And not every other artist feels like working in that way. So, you know, I think it's easy to denigrate Stan for the bad business practices of the past and not give him the due that he, that he deserves, that he rightfully deserves. Does Stan get a little bit too much attention? Maybe he did. Maybe he did. But maybe that was just because he outlived everybody. You know, and I've often said, you know, I think that if Kirby had lived, if think of Kirby had lived into the today, I think we would have seen him doing cameos in all these movies too. I think he would have liked doing it. I mean, he was on an episode of The Incredible Hulk back in the 70s. I don't see why he wouldn't have wanted to be a, a cameo in, in Captain America. I think that would have been cool. Yeah, I'm all on board with that kind of an Easter egg in, in a film, especially if it's a film that, that that person had something directly to do with. For example, I loved Walt Simonson's cameo in the first Thor movie. I thought that was great. I would have loved to see a cameo by Ditko in one of the Spider-Man movies. Obviously, that didn't happen. But, you know, it, it could have if Ditko had wanted it to, I would imagine. And I don't get this idea of... Stan versus the artist mentality. We, we, we get this a lot in fandom, and I don't share it. I, I think that they are great, you know, when, when you talk about the team and you talk about what they accomplished together, and then when you start getting nitpicky about, well, yeah, 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 so you traded so-and-so, whatever, you know. It's years ago. The industry was a lot different back then. I don't think you can blame Stan for that. I mean, think if anything, I could think you could can give Stan credit for helping improve matters. But I think that without the developments that he did make of making this corporation seem like a friend, that maybe some of this stuff wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for Stan. And I don't like when people kind of play stand against Jack or stand against Steve or, or any of these arguments because I'm one of those people that, that believes you can enjoy both Star Trek and Star Wars. You don't have to pick one. And I'm kind of the same way with comics as well. I've been a DC guy for most of my life. I do a Marvel-centric podcast. But, you know, my favorite characters have always been both sides of that divide. You know, the, the Legion of Superheroes, Thor... FF, you know, Doctor Strange. Those are kind of like all right at the top of my list. You know, I just want to read good comics and I want to talk about good comics. And, uh, you know, thanks to Stan, you know, we, we have a show. You know, if it hadn't been for Stan Lee, we wouldn't be talking about Thor every week. So, you know, he'll be missed. All right, so that is about it for this week. Once again, folks, thanks very much for listening. Thanks for putting up with my ramblings. And, of course, if you want to email the show, you can do so, radiofreeasgard at gmail.com. You can also join us over on Facebook. Just look for Radio Free Asgard over there, and you will find us. And with that, I am back over the Rainbow Bridge, back to Midgard, and we'll see you next time here on Radio Free Asgard. 
Radio Free Asgard is copyright Tom Harris USA Productions, which is totally responsible for its content. The characters, stories, and situations presented on this program are copyright their respective copyright holders and are presented for entertainment, review, and educational purposes only. No ownership is implied. We make no money from this podcast and the contents are believed to be covered under fair use. If you like what you've heard on today's program, we'd appreciate it if you leave us an iTunes review, send us an email with your feedback, tell your friends, if you have any, or annoy your coworkers with our incoherent ramblings and silly voices. Thanks once again for listening to Radio Free Asgard.